You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. What we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law. You're listening to Done By Law, brought to you by the Federation of Community Legal Centres. Welcome to Done By Law on 3CR 8.55am and also welcome to those listening via various podcast platforms or via streaming on 3cr.org.au. You're with Jimmy and Britt. It's just after 6pm on Tuesday, the 1st of August, 2023. This episode was pre-recorded on Friday, the 28th of July, 2023. We start by acknowledging the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation as the original and rightful custodians of the land that 3CR broadcasts from. We pay our respects to elders past and present, and we also acknowledge this land was stolen, never ceded. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. And we'd also like to give a brief content warning that tonight we will be discussing the topic of robo-debt. We understand that many members of the community can find this topic quite distressing. So if you need to switch off, please do so now and return at 6.30 to tune in to the Voices of West Papua. So a few months ago, we had Sarah Sasha from Economic Justice Australia come on the show. Uh, She told us some awful stories about the way our government has been abusing the rights and finances of some of Australia's most vulnerable communities. The team from Economic Justice Australia are returning tonight to discuss one specific issue, the one of robo-debt. The investigation into this scheme has concluded and the report has been released. It is over a thousand pages long. Good luck getting any of us radio hosts to read that much. Um, so instead, we thought we'd get EG, EJA back in the booth to get their take on the scheme, which has proven to be dehumanising on a number of levels. On that note, I would like to welcome our guest um, for tonight. Amy Schneider is a lawyer and the law reform lead at the Economic Justice Australia. She joins us tonight to provide her insights on the recent RoboDebt report. A very warm and non-robotic welcome to you, Amy. (laughs) Thank you very much for having me. It's great to be here. Uh, So, Amy, uh, we'll kick things off uh, with something uh, simple, or maybe not, we'll see. But what has been Economic Justice Australia's role in the investigation into the robo-debt scheme? Yeah, so EJA and our membership advocated against the scheme after first becoming aware of it in a budgetary briefing. At that time, there was a lack of transparency or clarity around the mechanics of exactly how the scheme worked. And later, once that became a bit more evident, we wrote to the Commonwealth Ombudsman, raising concerns about the automated process and the online system. Um, We then proceeded to meet with the Department of Human Services and continue to raise concerns around the use of averaging and the application of interest. Throughout the life of the scheme, we met with relevant departments, we provided support to our membership and utilised other forums to try and advocate against the scheme, um, such as the Senate inquiry. We met with relevant ministers to raise concerns about the operation and effect of the scheme on our membership's clients. But it's also important to note that during this time, 
Um, there was also a funding cliff and many of our member centres lost contributable funding and resourcing. Um, but then following the announcement of the Royal Commission, both um, EJA and our members provided evidence and comprehensive submissions, which included recommendations to the Commission, and quite excitingly, a lot of them were referenced in the report. That's fantastic to hear. Uh, it was quite an extensive report, and I doubt many of our listeners would have had the chance um, to get across it. I know I certainly haven't. Could you give us some insight into some of the key findings from the report? Yeah, of course. So the report is huge. There's 57 recommendations as a result of the findings. Um, many of the findings look at how the scheme came about, how it stayed in place for so long, who was responsible for what and who had knowledge of what. Um, it found that from the outset there was knowledge that the scheme was likely contrary to law and that um, conclusion was reaffirmed at different points to different people over the years. Um, it found that the bureaucracy covered up problematic aspects of the scheme and that it arose largely from public servants obliging ministers on a quest for savings. So accordingly, many of the recommendations revolve around improving the public service, including reviewing the current structure of the social services portfolio. Um, it also found that there was a need to boost, uh, bolster sorry, certain regulatory and oversight agencies who had investigated the scheme over time but were ineffectual in dismantling it. And also that there was a need to publish decisions that were made by the AAT Tier 1, which is the first reviewing body um, of a Centrelink decision after it's gone to internal review. Um, interestingly and really importantly, it found that there was um, that the dehumanising language and the welfare cop type rhetoric created an environment which facilitated the creation and implementation and continuation of the scheme including discrediting advocates, activists, and those with lived experience who raised the alarm in the media. Um, it made findings regarding the profound impacts of the scheme on individuals and the human cost of the scheme. And as a result of those findings, recommendations regarding the need for broader systems change, including around co-design and ensuring the services provided are fit for purpose and actually meeting and taking into account the needs and circumstances of those experiencing vulnerability. In terms of debt collection, the report found that the department effectively incentivized private debt collectors to pursue those who allegedly owe debts and that that was an area of significant reform that was required. Um, in terms of automation, the report recognized the need again for reform, regulation and an independent body to monitor and audit AI and automation. And really excitingly for our sector, the report recognized the role of advocacy groups, including community legal centers and our colleagues across the legal and social assistance sectors, who raised concerns which were disregarded during RoboDebt's lifetime. The report considered the role our sector plays in preventing a repetition of RoboDebt due to the public interest functions that we have. And as a result, recommendations were raised about the need to consult, improve accessibility in accessing Services Australia by advocates and increase and reassess funding for services like ours and our members. That's so interesting. It sounds like it's it's covered a lot of ground and uncovered a lot of um, pretty astounding um, things that have gone on. I'm interested to know, and it's certainly not clear to me, but is RoboDebt gone or does it live on in some form? So the RoboDebt um, scheme is Gone, but there's still elements of robo-debt and automation that are present within the social security system and that still immediately impact individuals' rights to social security. 
um, for example, automatic payment suspensions. And there still are ongoing issues regarding debts and shifts of the onus of proof. So receiving unclear debt notices and then having to disprove the debt as opposed to Services Australia having to prove the debt. Um, so there do remain those systemic and ingrained issues. Um, and that's why reform is really important. And the report is such a great um, advocacy tool to try and get areas um, that are currently in need of change um, reformed. Mm, it's um you've you've covered it seems like it's it's covered so much um in what is kind of come out of one scheme really and it's um sometimes hard for me or you know maybe others as well but to kind of distill this into um the kind of lived experience of certain people um we've heard some awful anecdotes arise from the investigation into this scheme but are there any stories you're able to share that you've come across in your work that you think the community should be aware of I can't give you examples in particular from my work, but there was one specific example, um, really tragic example in the report that really cut across some of the systematic issues that were um, present at the time of RoboDebt and some of them that still remain today with subject to recommendations. And that was the matter of Rise. So he um, really tragically died by suicide following receipt of a debt letter. Um, but he had ongoing mental health issues, that, including suicidal ideations, which were known to Centrelink. And at some point, Centrelink had placed what's called a vulnerability indicator on his file, which was meant to show that he was experiencing certain vulnerabilities and the debt shouldn't be collected under the robo-debt scheme in the way that it was or extra support should have been provided to him. That wasn't the case because the, the vulnerability indicator lapsed from his file and despite previous mutations that he had ongoing um, mental health, even later, the vulnerability indicator was never replaced back on the file. So as a result, he was pursued for a debt that was later reduced to zero, including for it to be referred to a private debt collector who um, then pursued him for payment of that debt. Um, so... When Rise passed as well, um, that came to the attention of the media and the report found that first and foremost, um, the department, once becoming aware of it, were more preoccupied with distancing Rise's death from the RoboDebt program and working on a narrative as opposed to um, taking any other kind of more um, moral, moral, essentially, action towards what had happened. Um, and Rise's mother gave incredible and very compelling evidence to the tribunal, sorry, to the commission, which is all set out in the report. There's a whole chapter on the individual experience um, of lived experience um, and those who were caught up in the Robodebt scheme. Gosh, yeah, that, that story is just completely tragic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think hindsight, of course, is twenty twenty. but if we were to turn back the clock, and this is... Probably a big question, but from from your perspective, what should have been done differently? And was this were there problems with implementation, or was this is it really as simple as this scheme never should have been implemented at all? It's really as simple as the scheme should never have been implemented. Mm. It's clear from the commission's assessment of it as a cruel and cruel and crude scheme, and um, that was essentially illegal from the outset. Um, but saying that, the scheme does provide lessons in how 
um, governments should implement other schemes or other um, programs moving forward. For example, listening to frontline staff, putting the customer at the centre, recognising and catering to the needs of those experiencing vulnerability in service design and delivery and actually consulting before making major decisions. Um, but, yeah, the scheme should never have been implemented. That was clear from the report. Gosh. We're going to take a quick break, if that's all right with both of you. We'll go jump Absolutely. to a couple of uh, community announcements, but we'll be back shortly with Amy Schneider from Economic Justice Australia talking about uh, her work's review of the robo-debt uh, scheme and the reports that have come through it. We'll be back shortly after a couple of community announcements. Hi, I'm Robbie Thorpe. Beyond the Bars is 3CR's annual prison radio series where we share the mic with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander men and women in Victoria's prisons. Uh, we are such a huge representation in prison all over Australia. Statistically, it has to stop and it's gonna, not going to stop while you're building more beds in a prison. It's a band-aid. What about beds outside? Tune in to 3CR during NAIDOC week at 11am each day from Monday the 3rd to Friday the 7th of July. We'll take you inside six Victorian prisons. Dame Phyllis Frost Centre, Barwon Prison, Fulham Correctional Centre, Loddon Prison, Marguerite Correctional Centre and Port Phillip Prison. To hear stories, songs, opinions and poems from the men and women inside while connecting with culture and community. The shows will be live on 3CR 855 on your AM dial. 3CR Digital and streaming via our website or the Community Radio Plus app. For more information, head to our website, 3cr.org.au backslash beyond the bars. Uh, well, welcome back, listeners. You're listening to Done by Law on 3CR. We're with Amy Schneider from the uh, Economic Justice Australia organisation, and we're talking about robo-debt. And before the break, Amy was just... Uh, talking about how this scheme really never should have been implemented at all, but there are some key learnings and lessons uh, that have arisen from the report that came out of uh, the RoboDebt Commission. Uh, and, I mean, we all suspect politicians of, I think, getting up to some pretty dodgy stuff, but it's always fairly confronting um, when that is brought into sharp relief and, and into the, the daylight. And I think this report has really demonstrated um, some pretty poor behaviour. What have been some consequences so far that have arisen from the commission and from the report I, I believe there's been a job lost yeah so I understand the media is reporting um that Kath Campbell allegedly resigned from her um position with government after being suspended without pay and there is a sealed section of the report, report which was not made publicly available we understand that made certain recommendations regarding civil or other action to be taken against individuals that were identified in the Royal Commission report. Um, but in terms of the consequences for those that have arisen so far, at EJ, we're more focused on the calls for reform contained within the report and the consequences those reforms could have on making the social security system fairer, including um, on its administration and for service delivery, rather than um, the individual consequences with um, politicians and individuals. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, I think there's, you know, we see some of the consequences of these schemes and I think people want to see uh, someone, you know, I just kind of talking to 
to my friends and colleagues this week, it's people want someone to kind of see suffer a consequence for this scheme. And it is um, obviously difficult when it gets to such a broad scheme that does involve kind of to a large extent automation. Um, so, but it, it, it does seem there were, you know, particular um, big players involved. Are, are there potential consequences for those involved going forward? Like I think some people, you know, are, are hoping that there can be criminal investigations resulting from this investigation and report. Is there any kind of real prospect for that or is it is it is it unclear or um, what can happen from here? Yeah, so we don't know yet. Most of what contained was most of that would be contained in the sealed report. Right. And yeah. um we would assume that there would be some time that the relevant authorities or investigatory bodies who received that report might need time to digest and investigate. So we just don't know. And and does that so, so um does that sealed port get released to the community at some point or does that remain sealed um uh, just for internal use? I don't know the answer to that unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll terif- yeah, terrifying. Okay, cool. Um if uh if I can take the um, yeah. Next one. I, I'm just such a uh, nerd for AI and ChatGPT and all this kind of um, uh, increasing uh, technologies that kind of empower automated decision making. And um, I guess, um, do you think this event um, has given some insight into the risks of automated decision making, both now and and kind of in the future? Um, and if so, in, in what way do you think that governments or people subject to government decisions need to be cautious of automated decision making? Yeah, absolutely. So it should significant insight on the risks of automation. Um, in particular, the risks of automated decisions without the ethical and legal frameworks in place that are needed in order for those to be um, to be fair. So, um, and particularly when there's discretionary decisions that are made without human oversight, which result then in completely arbitrary decisions. Um, and again, also the risks when people affected by those systems aren't considered from the beginning or aren't co-designed with the people who um, they are made in relation to. So um, it is brought to the forefront the human impacts, the effects and the risks to public confidence and the economic consequences that were produced by largely unregulated and non-transparent use of automation, um, which is often unreviewable or employed uncritically. Um, it shows that the poorly designed and implemented system had huge significant, had actually huge financial risks for the government, costing us billions or um, millions of dollars, despite the motivation for the whole scheme to be a cost-cutting and efficiency exercise. But I guess in terms of risks, ultimately the main issue wasn't the decision to use technology. It was the purpose for which it was used and the lack of real insight into applying technology into the social security system in a way that wasn't punitive or geared towards compliance, which is still an attitude that we see in the way um, automation is used today ongoing from over Um, So we can only use technology when we have a fair overall system technology I guess operates within that system but um, at the moment the system is not fair so we need some larger reforms and hopefully RoboDebt showed the risks of having an unfair system. I'm interested Amy you mentioned that large reform is needed what would those reforms look like? Um, Interested in your perspective. 
Absolutely. So the report made specific recommendations regarding reforms. Many of those we strongly support, mentioned some of those before, but the ones that immediately come to mind is we need more robust checks and balances. We need systems improvement and redesign with an emphasis on co-design and accessibility. We need the reintroduction of a limitation period for debt recovery. We need regulation, legislation and set guards around automation including the establishment of an independent body. But we'd go further to say that this body should not just look at the impacts of um, automation, but also digitization and accessibility. Mm. And we think that there are comprehensive reforms needed to make the social security system fairer, which I could go on for hours, but yes. unfortunately um, don't have time. So you can have a look at our website for a full suite of our submissions with all our reform proposals. Fantastic. And we'll perhaps um, put your website um, when we post this episode uh, for podcasting, we'll, we'll put this on the website so people can access it. That'd be great. Um, like you like you said, Amy, we we could be here for for hours, really. I'm um, talking about kind of all the stuff that um, needs to be understood about about these recent schemes. But um, and there's been a lot to take in uh, during this show. But is there any kind of key things that that you or the um, Economic Justice Australia believes needs needs to be widely known in the community going forward from here? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the main ones is that a lot of the problems with automation and non-transparent decision-making or non-transparent use of AI or automation or digitization, which characterise robo-debt are still ongoing and we need urgent action to reform those aspects of the social security system and regulate it in a way that comes from a human rights framework. Um, but possibly the most important thing to, to learn or to take away is that um, it's important to acknowledge the impact that cultural, political and social messaging had on the creation and the continuation of the scheme. Mm -hmm. And in order to change that, we need broader cultural and social shifts, which can only happen with community on board. We need to reframe how society sees, um, society including the media and politicians see income support and look at it as a right and a safety net for all, as opposed to um, anything, anything else than that. Yeah, I think that's such an important point to finish on, really. Um, you know, I, I remember back to the scheme at the time I was in university and the the kind of horrible kind of feeling that many people who were issued with those notices felt and just kind of the, the powerlessness and, you know, as you say, kind of reinforcement of um, negative community attitudes or, you know, government attitudes towards people accessing, accessing social welfare. Um, it's been quite shocking to see. Um, how far that can be taken in schemes like this. But um, it's been so awesome to have you on the show again and to have Economic Justice Australia back in the 3CR booth. Um, it's been a really informative discussion, um, but we are reaching the end of tonight's program. Um, so, Amy, it's been great to have you on the show to see more of the hard work Economic Justice Australia is doing to shine light on some of Australia's darkest corners. Um, I understand you've got um, an, a, a, another couple of interesting other uh, projects um, in your role at Economic Justice Australia. So hopefully we can have you back on in the future at some point down the track um, to have a little bit more, hear a little bit more about all the fantastic work you guys do. But for today, thank you so much for speaking with us, especially during what... Uh, I imagine has been a pretty frantic time for the EJA team. It's been great to have you. Thank you so much for having me. If you've been listening to this episode and feel like you might be in need of legal advice on the matters discussed in this program, 
You can visit Economic Justice Australia's website to find a centre near you by visiting ejaustralia.org.au. For our Victorian listeners, you can contact the Social Security Rights Victoria on 03-9481-0355 or at ssrv.org.au. And with that, you've been listening to Dumbai Law on 3CR 855am, streamed at 3cr.org.au and available on various podcast platforms. Done by Law will be back again next Tuesday, as always, at 6pm. Stay tuned for the voices of West Papua, but before that, we'll finish tonight's show with a song I promised to play last time I was hosting the show, and I had a bit of technical difficulties. This pre-record will mean I'll get it right this time, um, which is actually the name of the song, Right This Time by Jackie Lumsden, who I hear plays for a fantastic uh, indoor soccer team in the Inner North as well. So uh, go, Jackie. Um, and thanks for joining us tonight on Dumb by Law. Go with it, go with it. Go with it, go with it. Go with it, go with it. Ha, ha. Go with it, go with it. I've been trying to kick a bad, bad habit of seeing all my suitors through my rosy glasses. Smile, you
25 years since the emblematic Jabaluka blockade, yet now we see the reckless decision to join the AUKUS military pact. Nuclear-powered submarines bring the very real threat of international nuclear waste dumps and an excuse for a domestic nuclear industry in Australia. Friends of the Earth's nuclear-free art auction will celebrate decades of nuclear resistance while raising vital funds for our national nuclear-free campaign work. Join us on Friday, June the 30th from 5pm till 10pm with a 7.30pm start of the live auction at Catalyst Social Centre, 144 Sydney Road, Coburg. There'll be bands, a bar, kids' banner painting earlier in the night and lots of amazing artwork. For more information, go to melbournevo.org.au forward slash 2023 underscore art underscore auction. Bring your friends, spread the word and come along for a fun evening. Friends of the Earth is a 3CR supporter. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.